0: Have to share that um, you guys gave me quite a moment there. So I've been, I've been drumming and making all this noise. And so one thing I found very helpful is I put these big old headphones on now, and I don't have to hear myself nearly quite as much. Uh, you do still. You have to hear all my noise, but uh, I get a little bit of reprieve from that. But the downside is I can't hear you singing. And so at the very end there, I was like, you know what? I'm not playing for the rest of the song. I'm going to take my headphones off. And wouldn't you know? Uh, that was a really powerful moment to hear you all praising God in that way, and it was quite beautiful. I just wanted to share that with you, not my notes. I'm already deviating from my notes. It's going to be a wonderful morning. Uh, this was a wonderful way to uh, experience worship, and it just blew me away. I wasn't expecting uh, what I heard. It was, it was wonderful. Now, being a pastor in the last couple of years, I'm going to tell you what, uh, it's been interesting you know, I, I, did, I did go to seminary, and, and the, the kind of the party line with all pastors is uh, seminary didn't train me for this. You know, it didn't, I missed the class on the pandemic and everything that were kind of all these situations that were put into. And so I've learned over the course of all these bumps and along the way to be prepared for anything. So I came prepared today, just in case. I brought my bag with me. So i got a few things in here. What, what do I have? Oh, yeah. Okay. So you never know. When we might have like a freak snowstorm, you know, on Wednesday this week, not Sunday. We never, you're not, you're not guaranteed. So I brought my copy of On Camera Coach, Tools and Techniques for Business Professionals in a Video-Driven World. It'll help me present if I have to do it on camera again, right? So if you're not able to be here, I'm ready to go. So we've got that. Uh, other times, it's been really interesting. I mean, it's getting, getting kind of warmer now, so maybe we'll be outside again. Random, we've had to do some outside services. I brought some sunscreen because the last time we met outside, I burned my forehead. And you're looking at me, and you're, like, not surprised at all, right? So this is, uh, this is very important uh, equipment for me these days, uh, just in case, to be prepared. And, of course, we've got, uh, what do we have? Oh, yeah, these. And, and I appreciate all of you who are still wearing some of these. And so if I was feeling poorly, I could put on a mask. Where we're used to being prepared with that. And then, uh, last but not least, uh, a headlamp. <laughs> I was one week late with this thing, <laughs> but then now, now maybe I could I could see my my notes or my Bible a little bit better if uh, if all of a sudden the, the the power goes out like it did last week, and I found myself preaching in the dark, which again was just added to the list of things I did not think I would be doing as a pastor. But here we are, and, and I think it's good to to I didn't celebrate the, the maybe the normalcy that we have uh, now in some in most ways. It's good to look back and to, to recognize that all the things we've gone through while they have been atypical have had God at work right in the middle of them. It also makes me think a little bit of what it might have been like to be a disciple of Jesus because he constantly brought his followers into situations that they were not prepared for. He took them way off the beaten path. I mean, he would teach anywhere, standing in a boat, on top of a mountain, anywhere in between. He would heal anyone, even those who were unclean with leprosy where everyone else knew to stay away. He would pick fights with those in authority who could really make his life miserable. And the disciples were like, keep your voice down. But nope. Here he was going to call them out. He survived a few riots and uprisings. He would feed huge crowds when there was not food to be had. (laughs) Jesus took his disciples off the beaten path, and they had to be ready for anything. But even though after what would have been a number of years of following him and his ministry, I don't think heading into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the disciples quite knew what to expect. I think they were prepared for anything but probably not this. Because one thing Jesus did not normally do was call attention to himself and proclaim himself to be the Messiah. He would heal people and say, do not tell them who I am. My time has not yet come. And he would share with his disciples only in a private setting what he was going to need to do and who he was. And even there, they didn't fully comprehend or understand. And and so they would see him and they knew who he was, but he would keep that hidden. And all of a sudden, entering into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and those doors get blown wide open. We encounter a story that I'm sure took the disciples by surprise where Jesus boldly proclaimed, not just to his disciples, not just to his followers, but the entire gathered city of Jerusalem where everyone would have come on pilgrimage to celebrate Passover. Everyone there would have known Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. He would have said, I am the King. And that changed everything. We find the story that we're going to go over today in Matthew chapter 21. So you can turn there if you haven't already. And this is Palm Sunday. And so we are going to look at the triumphal entry together. I will read verses 1 to 17 for you. And you can follow along or you can listen. And then we will stay here and learn from this together. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, and the colt, and put them on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, have you have prepared prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray together one more time. Gracious Heavenly Father, this is a moment of triumph. This is a moment signaling victory. This is a moment, as we've been tracking the story of Jesus, the ministry, the life of Jesus, in which he declares openly exactly who he is. This is a moment that changed everything. God, I pray that as we are into this familiar Easter season and we're talking about familiar stories, that we still would come with open hearts and minds to to find something new, something that you remind us of, something that you teach us uh, by the the leading of your spirit. God, let us be humble to receive it. We pray this in your name. Amen. So what is Jesus declaring? I would say that he is making who he is truly and completely known to all the people of Israel. And we find three roles, three offices that Jesus held that, that, he, that is talked about here. And then we, we find ways in which uh, this role that Jesus plays can impact how we relate to him. And the first thing I want to point out in the passage that we read is Jesus declares himself to be a prophet. We find Jesus as prophet, which shouldn't be terribly surprising. Because as we have gone through this series that has taken us into Luke and now into Matthew, and we'll go back into Luke, right from the outset... Uh, We learned that Jesus had this prophetic role, this role of prophecy. But in order to properly understand Jesus as prophet, we must also understand the role of prophecy and prophets in Israel. We often have a, a bit of a misconception that prophecy is all about foretelling the future, where that was not primarily the role of prophets in Israel and in the relationship between God and his people. No, instead, prophets were the ones who brought the word of God to the people. So God would, would come and give this message to a prophet and then this prophet would boldly and courageously and often uh, have to put his, even his life on the line to bring this true word of God to the people. And as he was bringing this truth, Of God to the people, it often did include predictions of what would happen in the future, so that is a component of prophecy. It would also include promises of what God would do in the future, despite what the response of the people may or not be. But all of this was under the main thrust of prophecy, which was for God to call the people back to Himself and say, This is who I am, this is what is true, this is how you should ultimately understand me and relate to me. That's the role of the prophet. And Jesus fulfilled this. In his ministry, he would speak and teach with tremendous authority, which was something that established his reputation as a prophet. And so when he enters into the city, and the whole city is stirred up because Jesus is creating this scene, when asked, uh, who is this person? They say, this is the prophet, Jesus of Nazareth, the one true prophet. And when we read the words and the teaching of Jesus, he will say things with this authority. Well, you have heard it said. But I say to you, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, even if you are angry, you've committed murder in your heart. You know, and Jesus would speak with this authority. And then there would be the other religious leaders and he would actually challenge them. And all of this was in his role as prophet. But Jesus was a radically different prophet. The reason was he cut out the middleman. So when we read through the Old Testament, you will encounter at the beginning of the book, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. And then we encounter the story of Jesus. And what does John say? And then the word of the Lord became flesh and dwelt in See, Jesus is not just bringing the message of God. He is the message of God. There is no intermediary. There's no more middleman. In, in Jesus, we, say God, we see God made flesh. Then when we see his face and we hear his voice and we follow his example, we are learning from none other than God himself. And this is what makes Jesus the one true prophet, radically different than any that came before and making that role of prophecy not nearly as necessary afterwards. He is God. When you see him, you see the glory of the Father. And not only that, but after the ascension of Jesus, he sent the Holy Spirit to abide in us with that role of leading us into all truth. And so now we do not require a prophet to bring us the word of the Lord. We have Jesus, the one true prophet, and that helper within us guiding us into that truth. The word of God can come directly to us. So prophecy is... A spiritual gift. And again, prophecy is not a gift of foretelling the future. It is that gift of making the truth of God known to those around you. And yet this gift is exercised under the authority of Jesus and at the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we may know the will of God in our lives. Now as the one true prophet, Jesus uses this role to help us know God truly. So who is God? I have some ideas. I'm sure you have some ideas. The people around you will certainly have other ideas. How do we know God truly? Well, that is supplied to us through Jesus as prophet. In his life, he was constantly redirecting the people away from misconceptions or legalism or empty traditions and then teaching them that God, the living, one true God, wants their hearts, wants their devotion. Jesus was teaching people how to know God and relate to God truly. He revealed to everyone directly the character of God and what God desires for his people. He revealed what is true. And we see Jesus operating as prophet even in the story we read together. This story is full of quotations of Old Testament prophecy that Jesus is directly fulfilling and teaching even the high priests exactly how this is being fulfilled. He teaches this authority because he is prophet. But this was not something limited to what Jesus did all those years ago, but continues to be true of Jesus in our own lives today. Now, I made fun of some of the things that I've learned to be prepared for in the past few years. But we've all learned a lot about ourselves in the last couple of years and through the pandemic. And something that we learn is what we feel very strongly about Maybe some things that we knew we would feel strongly about before and now we're just, we're affirmed in that we know that this is important to us. There was other things that happened where maybe we didn't think about it, we didn't realize, but it struck such a chord with us that we we, we all of a sudden learned something about ourselves. I believe this to be true or I believe in this cause quite strongly. And so not only have we learned this, but emotions have been running high. And I think this is a wonderful time to step back and to say, hey, am I being led into this? By Jesus as the prophet, is he the one who is helping me know God truly? Because all of what we believe as Christ followers needs to be held up humbly and consistently to the teaching of Christ, who is the Word of God, and the truth of Scripture, which is the inspired Word of God. And so no matter what it has been for you that has led to this very uh, emotional and powerful response of belief, the question is, are we willing to humbly put that at the feet of the cross and say to Jesus, is this how I can know God truly? Because there is a danger in believing things very strongly without going through that process of discernment. The danger is found when we hold an unbiblical belief with biblical fervor. And if that becomes true, And we are no longer seeking after Jesus as prophet in our lives. Instead, we must allow the revelation of Jesus and the revelation of Scripture to guide our beliefs about what is true and what is important. And this is especially important when we are so emotional about something that we believe. That is the most important thing that we need to bring to Jesus, bring to Scripture, and hold up against the Bible so that we know we are living in the way that God has revealed his intention for us to live and to relate to him and to relate to other people. And so again, as these things happen to us and as we learn more about ourselves, let us do that hard and humble work of bringing it to the word of God so that we can know God truly. But Jesus as prophet was only one of the roles that's displayed here at the triumphal entry. And then at later on when Jesus goes to cleanse the temple, In fact, it's really in that temple cleansing where we discover that Jesus is not just prophet, but he is also the one true high priest. After entering the city, Jesus just doesn't sit there. He goes to the temple and he asserts himself in this high priestly role. He begins by driving out all the people who bought and sold and turning over the tables of the moneylenders. This is enough uh, use of force to make all us pacifistic Mennonites tremble. What is Jesus doing here? That's not very peaceful. It's not turning the other cheek. What is Jesus doing? Well, what he is doing is he is teaching uh, the people there what what true worship looks like. And now what has happened here in in the temple with this buying and selling of of the materials that are required for sacrifice? Often we may have heard, you might have heard this party where, uh, okay, this is clearly something where, where the money lenders were ripping the people off this was uh, this is something that was clearly a sin. Well no, it's not, not cut and dry. In fact, the commerce that was happening was happening out of necessity. There was people that were coming to Jerusalem to sacrifice and they wouldn't have uh, the, the animals necessary for that sacrifice, but they could bring money and then purchase an animal and go about their business. And so that wasn't the main issue. It wasn't necessarily corrupt. And Jesus is not just casting out the people that were selling, he was also casting out the people that were buying. The main issue here was that, um, the the main reason it was problematic was because it had turned into a big business. I mean, business was booming. So there were people that, even if they weren't taking advantage of others, they were certainly making a good and healthy living off of the sacrifices uh, that were being um, purchased and were being made there at the temple. It was also problematic uh, because it happened inside the temple in what we would have, uh, what would, would have been called the court of the Gentiles. And so this was probably something that if it happened outside of the temple gates, would have been very different than when it happened in the house of the Lord itself. And so Jesus said two things. He said, number one, you've lost your focus. The focus isn't on commerce. The focus is on worship. And you have lost this reverence for the house of God. It's not to be a place where things are bought and sold. It is to be a place of worship and a place of prayer. And then Jesus, in his role as prophet, then quotes from Jeremiah 7:11 11 and says, you have made this into a den of robbers, his way of making his point clear. But Jesus doesn't just come and cleanse the temple from this commerce and from this money-making scheme. No, he then invites the blind and the lame to enter the temple and he heals them. And that's one detail that might seem lost in the shuffle for us, but it's actually quite important uh, in, in Israelite worldview. The reason for that goes all the way back to 2 Samuel 5, 8, where David makes a decree at the end of of, of a situation where the blind and the lame should not enter the, the house of God. And so it became tradition from that point forward that the blind and the lame were not allowed to enter the house of the Lord. That was a Jewish tradition. So what is Jesus doing when he not only goes into the temple, drives out those who are making money, and then invites in Those who had for their whole lives, for hundreds of years, had never been able to enter the temple. He invites them in to be healed. In both cases, Jesus is claiming a higher authority than the current high priest as he reorders proper worship. Saying, it is not important to buy and sell. It is important to pray and to worship. It It is not good to disallow people to enter in. Everyone is able to worship. And as the perfect high priest today, Jesus teaches all of us how to worship God truly. We can learn some of the same important lessons. He doesn't just teach us, he enables us to have true worship. So, just as we need to know about prophets in the Old Testament to understand Jesus as prophet, we also need to know a little bit about the role of priests. And priests were also intermediaries between a holy God and an unclean and unholy people. And it was their role. To intercede for the people on, on, on their behalf to go before God. So God would invite them into his presence in areas of the temple that not everyone could go. And it was their role to offer those sacrifices on behalf of the people to God to cover over all of the sin that they had done during that time. So whether it was bringing God to the people or the people to God, it was the role of the priests to intercede for the people. And once again, Jesus as priest. Takes away the middleman. He says, "You no longer need another human being to usher you into the presence of God, or to bring your prayers or concerns before the presence of God." As as Roger shared with us, we have now been invited, all of us, into the presence of God, and that is only possible through the work of Jesus Christ. This is a subject that the author of Hebrews is really, really interested in, and we um, find some wonderful verses in Hebrews seven verses twenty three to twenty eight. I'd like to share them with you now. The author says the former priests, the old high priests, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, being Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, Innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And as we get closer and closer to the cross, and we're gonna gather again on Good Friday, and we are going to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made of himself once for all, for everybody, so that through him and his perfect sacrifice, we can now enter freely. We're invited to enter the presence of God. We are invited into true worship of him, not on your merit, not on my merit, but on the merit of that perfect son, Jesus Christ. Through him, we enter into true worship, and he intercedes for us each and every day. He ushers us into the very presence of our heavenly Father. So both under the old covenant in our story and the new covenant today, Jesus reveals that true worship is a matter of the heart. He was completely unsatisfied with the big business of buying and selling what was needed for sacrifice. He's like, that is not the intent of the law. This is not what God requires. Again, earlier on, we heard him quote Hosea that God resi- desires mercy and not sacrifice. And then he quotes Isaiah 56, 7 to make his point further of what's going on here. This is some um, the, the message from Isaiah that Jesus brings to the people in the temple. He says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the people. So the whole point of Isaiah and what Jesus is reminding them is that this is an invitation. This is a place to come and to worship. This is a place of prayer where we we just pour our hearts out to God. That is what he wants. That is what he's always wanted. Why are we losing our focus? Jesus was also dissatisfied that some, like the lame and the blind, were excluded from worship. In Christ, we are all made acceptable to worship God. And so there is no more Jew or Gentile. There's no more clean or unclean. There's no male or female or this or that or any other distinction that we want to make. When we worship God, we again enter into his presence because of who Jesus is. And we are all the same in Christ. And so if we look at our own setting, then worship at Stony Brook must be this inclusive. It has to include all people. And it has to include everybody exactly where you're at. So there is no pretense here. You don't walk through these doors and put on a brave face. You don't have to walk through these doors having a good week of reading your Bible and doing what it says. And You can have a week that was terrible and you fell down over and over and over again. You can come emotionally on your hands and knees and you should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you enter into the very throne room of God because it doesn't depend on your on your past week. It depends on whether or not Jesus was enough. And he is and he's enough For you. And so we are all welcome to worship here. No pretenses required. Jesus as priest allows us to worship God truly. But of course, the main thing we learn, the main thing that we focus on every Palm Sunday is the triumphal entry, this time in which Jesus declares himself to be king. Now it starts by him giving the disciples this uh, set of instructions. Again, be prepared for anything following Jesus. He says, okay, guys. um, I want you to go into that town there and steal a donkey. <laughs> it's like, what? Are you sure we need to do that? He's like, oh, it's fine. If anyone calls you on it, just say the Lord needs it. <laughs> it's like, okay, here we go. And, and, and um, uh, this, uh, Matthew doesn't include it, but the other gospels actually have a conversation. Someone comes out and says, what, what are you doing with my donkey? Where are you going? And they say, um, the Lord needs it. He's like, okay, have a good day. <laughs> Off we go. And so they steal this donkey. Or they or whatever way you want to put it. And they come and then they put their cloaks on the donkey and then Jesus sits on it. And on that humble beast of burden, he enters the city. But it's not just about the humility. It is more about what signal he is sending, the direct fulfillment of what is Zechariah 9, 9, that the king will enter on a donkey that he will humble, but he will also be the king. So, of course, Jesus is doing this intentionally. He's planning this on purpose. He is fulfilling that prophecy. He is declaring to the gathered Israelite world that he is the Messiah. That he is the king. And he makes quite the entrance with a multitude of people who are also declaring him to be king. It would be a very different event altogether if nobody else agreed with him. But that's not what we read. There was so many people, a huge crowd that went ahead of him and behind him. And those that were ahead were taking off their outer garments and they were laying them on the road. And if they couldn't find uh, an outer garment that they had on, they would go and grab a a branch. And John says they're palm branches and they would lay that on the road. And this is this is them giving Jesus the red carpet treatment. We just uh, saw the, the Oscars were the other day. And the thing that stuck out to most people, I think everyone will take away from the Oscars that red carpet moment. That was the one thing that everybody remembered. It had nothing to do with a slap, right? Which, by the way, if anyone's saying things on stage, it's not cool to come up with a slap and he can uh, slap me later, not now. But that's the idea. Everyone has their red carpet moment where they dress their best or whatever celebrities think is good looking these days. And then they have that moment and that's a place of honor and prestige and only a certain people get this red carpet treatment. But that's what they're doing for Jesus. The people are saying this is reserved for royalty. This is a high honor and respect. We're going to pave the way for the king. And not only do they give him this red carpet treatment, but they call out Hosanna to the son of David. And the son of David, of course, is this direct connection to God's promise that his eternal king will come from the line of David. The people are proclaiming Jesus to be that long-awaited Messiah. That long awaited king. This is that connection to the throne of Israel. And the word hosanna is interesting because it's not actually a Greek word, it's a transliteration of a Hebrew word, which means save us. And now this has become a declaration save us. And when they're and shouting hosanna to Jesus, they are saying, save us, O king, O son of David. There was so much that Jesus was fulfilling in this moment. In fact, the people were not getting this word out of nowhere. They were referring back to a psalm written all those years ago. Psalm 118. And I want to read verses 19 to 29 for you. You can follow along again. And I want you just to imagine, to think along with me, how many things Jesus has fulfilled in this passage that we are to read. Because this is where the cries of the people bring us. This is what it says in Psalm 118, starting verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. Hosanna, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And so the cry of the people bring us to this psalm, and we see layers and layers of so much that Jesus is fulfilling as he enters through those gates and declared to be the king, the savior of the people. When we live our lives subject to King Jesus, the lesson that we learn from him is how to live for God truly. You see, the king represented salvation, and that's what the people were declaring. That's what they were crying out for. Save us, O son of David. Now for the Jews, it was this long-awaited hope of deliverance from Rome and their oppressors to have once again this earthly kingdom that they could call their own. And Jesus was their Savior, but from so much more. In fact, we learn in Matthew 1 that the reason he was called Jesus is because he would be the Savior and he would save his people from their sins. That's exactly what Jesus does for you and for me. Christ is the King who saves us from ourselves saves us from our own sin, all those things that we know that we have done that keep us distant from God, saves us from our brokenness and that anxiety and that depression and that that worry and those broken relationships that we just can't fix on our own. Jesus saves us from our shame in which we feel so guilty about all those things and he says, I have paid the price. He saves us from our greed and from our desire for power and all those things that steer us in a direction that makes us farther and farther from God. And only the king, only the king is strong to enough free, to free us from everything that seeks to drag us down and in the wrong direction. Hosanna, save us, son of David, King Jesus. And so yeah, it's good, but we're not used to having a king. We don't use these words very often anymore. In fact, if I were to say what we've learned over the course of the pandemic is that we really don't like to be told what to do. (laughs) That's one thing I've learned about myself. I think it's one thing we've learned about all of us is that we're not used to living in a situation where somebody somewhere just says, this is the way it is, deal with it. That's a hard thing. It's actually a very foreign concept. But when we declare Jesus to be king, we give him and only him That place in our lives where he says something and we do it. Where he says something and we obey it. Where he declares something and we live wholeheartedly as it were true. Jesus is our king. means we are subject to him. And so if our main desire is to have uh, this freedom in such a way that it's ability for us to do whatever we want, whenever we want, that is not a promise you will find in Scripture. Now, I'm so glad that we have regained many of the freedoms that we often enjoy in this country. You know, we don't have them all back yet, and I hope we get to keep them, and we don't know what the future may hold. But the question I have for all of us here today is now that we have regained many of those things that we had given up, at least for a time, what are we going to do with them? How are we going to use them? Are they just to be enjoyed by ourselves? I truly believe that when we talk about declaring Jesus as King, that we are called to use these freedoms that we that we have and that and that we enjoy, and we use them to serve our King. And as we learned last week, we serve Jesus when we serve others. And so, as we continue to talk about the nature of freedom, let's continue to hold that up to the promise and the and the definition of Scripture. And I want to um, have one more passage to share with you this morning before we're done, and that's to go to the passage of Galatians. And, And Paul talks a lot about freedom and the nature of freedom now he's talking about spiritual freedom being freed from the burden of the law we've been given true freedom in christ now how do we exercise this freedom that's our question and our concern and paul says this in galatians 5 verse 13 and following for you were called to freedom brothers and sisters only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh for yourself for your own desires but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so, as we put one foot in front of the other, and as we re engage with our ability to, to live our lives the way that, that we often get to determine, can we live in this freedom, subject to our King Jesus Christ? Can we use this freedom as he desires, which is to turn around and serve one another? So let us not just think that we're going back to normal. Let us use this opportunity to think, what else can I do? What else can I do that I haven't been able to do? Not just before those restrictions, but even beyond that. What else was I not doing that could serve other people, edify them, draw them closer to God? Because when I serve them, I serve my king. That's what it means to be a subject, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And church, I have been so incredibly proud of all of you because our time, my time here, has not been like that last warning in Galatians. I do not believe we are biting and devouring one another. So let us continue to turn and to serve one another in love and be good subjects of King Jesus, who is victorious. And as the music team comes back up to lead us in one last song, I want to give ourselves one more piece of perspective on Jesus as King. So he was the king for Israel. And he came not just to save them from the Romans, but ultimately to save them from their sin. And he offers that same salvation and victory to us today. And if you're someone and you don't know if you have placed your trust in the king, Jesus, yet, then come and talk to me after. I'd love to be able to have a conversation with you. If you're somebody that's placed your trust in in that king, but you're not sure if you're living out that freedom the way that he desires, that's something else we can pray for. But when we think about Jesus as king, there's one more thing we must consider. And that's that this king is coming back. (laughs) That the kingdom we have now is not all that it's supposed to be. That there is something more. That there is something greater. That the promise of salvation from sin was not just in this life, but in an eternal kingdom where Jesus reigns. And one day when he returns, we will be able to be in his presence, to be in his kingdom. And he'll wipe every single tear off our our face. And that these things that continue to be a burden of brokenness and sickness and death and anger will, will one day be gone, all because Jesus is king. Not just for us personally, but us together. Not just for now, but forevermore. So let us serve him and let us hope in him. Because this is what we long for and what we live for.